Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. Hey, it's great to see y'all today, and uh, very thankful that we have a chance to, to gather this morning and to worship Jesus and, and to look into God's Word together. Uh, I want to just acknowledge uh, very quickly that, that I am wearing an OU shirt. Um, and I just want to say that because you may be wondering, well, is that kind of insensitive? And, and I want, just want you to know this. Hey, if, if, I was, if I was preaching today in Stillwater or in Austin, I would still be wearing this shirt. Um, <laughs> No, we don't need to clap for that. We don't need to clap for that. No, here, here's, here's seriously, this is uh, what I want to say. We, we don't make much of the things that divide us and the differences, but I did want to wear this today because uh, we are so thankful to have the University of Oklahoma in our city and to have all of these college students that come to our town. It's such a privilege for us to be able to welcome them here and to worship with them. And so if you are connected to the University of Oklahoma and you are here today, that is awesome. If you are a college student that's going to another area of college, that is awesome. We love you and we love that you are here this morning. And I can't wait. At the end of our time today, I'm gonna invite you to go do something uh, because we just wanna get to know you better. But very thankful that y'all are here today and that we have a chance to look into God's word. We're gonna talk about following Jesus. That's kind of our theme uh, this fall and this season of our times looking into God's Word. We're talking about following Jesus, and we're using Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10 as our guide because Jesus asked his, those around him in the first century to follow him, and I think the same invitation goes out to you and I today. We are invited to follow Christ, but what does that look like? Well, we're going to talk more about that this morning and some of the challenges we have in following Christ. But as we begin to look into God's Word, I, I want to just acknowledge that there is something really big that is happening this week. There, there's something really big that is happening tomorrow. Something really important that's getting a lot of news coverage that is happening tomorrow about one o'clock. Do you know what I'm talking about? The solar eclipse. Uh, Dr. Adam Gerkink, who's a, an eye doctor, was here in the first service. I verified with him we are not to stare at the sun uh, during that eclipse. But, you know, the, the solar eclipse, it's, it's such a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because the sun, which is very, very large, is actually obstructed from our vision by something that is much smaller. And for a few minutes, it's going to look like the sun kind of disappears, even in the middle of the day. Now, the sun is some 400 times larger than the moon. But because the moon is 400 times closer than the sun, Mike, you can correct me later, because the moon is 400 times closer than the sun, that when the moon passes at just the right distance, then we get this massive shadow over our, our earth. And so it's just an interesting thing, a phenomenon that we'll gather around and make our cereal boxes to go out and take a look at it. But you know what? I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about it in connection to our spiritual lives. And you know, the Son of God is very, very large, isn't he? The Son of God is, is awesome. He is, he is powerful. He, he is walking the earth, and he is casting out demons, and he's walking the earth, and he's teaching with authority. He's dying on the cross, offering forgiveness of sins. He's 
having those who were crippled stand and walk. I mean, the awesome Son of God that we see revealed in Scripture and who desires a relationship with you and I, who invites us to follow Him, He is so large. And yet, we allow things that are very small but are much closer to us at times eclipse our vision of Him. And when we do that, Isn't it interesting how our heart begins to wander? When we allow the the things of our lives that that are closer in proximity to us at times to obstruct our vision of the greatness of our God. Friends, let's not have that happen to us. Let's turn to God. Let's recognize the things that eclipse our vision of Him so that we might by faith, push them aside and see God in His greatness again. This morning, we're going to look at some of the things that might eclipse our vision of the greatness of God, some of the things that might tempt us to want to say no to Jesus as we live out our lives every day. And we're going to see those as reflected in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 34. Uh, These are are three different stories in, in that section of Scripture that we've already read as a part of our service today but that are reminders to us of things that were true in the first century, they're true in our lives today, small things that we can allow to obscure or eclipse our vision of the greatness of Jesus. So what are they? Well, the first one that we see is this. We can allow misplaced priorities to eclipse our vision of the greatness of God. We can allow our our hope or our expectations, our desires to rest on something other than God himself. And when that happens, we can find those things, when they are not met, obscuring our vision of the greatness of God. Now, we see this play out for us in Scripture in verses 18 through 22 of Matthew 8. As two different men come up to Jesus and have an interaction with him, two men want to follow Jesus. And as they approach Jesus to follow him, Jesus asks them some questions and makes some statements that clarify some things that were eclipsing their ability to see his greatness and truly follow him. And they fall in the areas of misplaced priorities. The first one comes when a scribe comes to him. The scribe walks up to Jesus and says in verse 19, "'Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go.'" Now, this statement makes some sense, doesn't it? It makes some sense for somebody who is watching Jesus' ministry to to come up to him and say, I want to be with you. I mean, think of what Jesus had been doing. He'd gone up on the, the hillside and he had preached the Sermon on the Mount with authority. He had walked down from that hillside and it said he was healing all who were sick that they brought to his midst. He was casting out demons that were oppressing people. He was healing lepers, and and he was interacting with people with great love and compassion, so much so that there was a great crowd that was developing around Jesus. People were running around the lake to catch up with him, to just catch a glimpse of him, just to spend some time with him. So because of that, it's not surprising that this scribe comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, guess what, teacher? I'm with you. Wherever you go, I go, because I want to be a part of this thing that you're developing because it looked really, really positive. It looked very exciting. But, but Jesus, who is able to see beyond just the obvious and is able to see the interior of our hearts, he was able to see the interior of this man's heart, 
he asks him a clarifying question, or really makes a statement. He says to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this is a remarkable statement that Jesus is making. I mean, Jesus is the head of the church, and he says here that the head of the church, the one who is firstborn over all creation, there's no place for him to lay his head? I mean, what, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the fact that he was really poor at that time? I don't think this is a, a comment about how many dollars he had in his pocket. I think what Jesus was saying, though, was he wanted this scribe to be absolutely clear that following Jesus might lead and most likely would lead to experiencing some temporary, temporal struggles. See, following Jesus was not always going to be a party. Following Jesus was not always going to be something that would lead to great personal, contemporary comfort. There were times that following Jesus was going to lead to hardship. The the disciples who stayed with Jesus found this out. When he went to the cross, they scattered They were persecuted. Many of them gave up their life for their faith in Christ. Jesus wanted this man to know, don't follow me so that your life gets better. Don't follow me so that you might get a bigger house. Don't follow me so that you might have a nicer car or that you might get a promotion at work. Follow me because I am who I am, Jesus says. He wanted to clarify that there wasn't a misplaced priority in this man's life, that he wasn't just going to be connected to Jesus when it was good. Jesus wanted to know, will you be willing to proclaim a despised doctrine? Will you be willing to stick with a penniless Savior? That's what he wanted to know. The scribe has asked this question, and really, it's a great question for us to ask, right? It's a great question for us to ask of ourselves. Do we ever have expectations for Jesus? And do we ever come to Jesus and say, I will follow you as long as everything is going great. But when things get tough, do we ever back away from him? The answer to that for my life and for your life is probably, well, yes, at least sometimes we do that. Sometimes, you know, we will say that we'll follow Christ and we'll gather in this room with people who are all leaning in and we'll raise our hands and we'll sing. But when we step into the university campus and we walk into a classroom and they look at us and say that there's no way there was a creator who created any of this, and for you to step forward and say, I believe that there is a creator who created the world in which we live, that would be a position that would be mocked. Are you willing to make that statement? Have you counted that cost? Or are you allowing that misplaced priority to eclipse something so small to eclipse our vision of the greatness of God, our desire for comfort, our desire for acceptance? Are we allowing that? I mean, this is not just true here. It's true around the world, right? Believers around the world have to count this cost all the time. Is it worth following Christ, even if it means being persecuted, even if it means being kicked out of my home and driven into a refugee camp because of my faith in Christ? Is it, is it worth it to follow him into that? This is what we do as the followers of Christ. We, we have the opportunity on a day-to-day basis to say no to Jesus because we allow some misplaced expectation of comfort to get in the way of what it would look like for us to trust him. That was the question that he asked the scribe. But not only that, there's a second person that comes up to him. It says, another of his disciples said to him, verse 21, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
Now, this is an interesting question, and it really is a question that, that uh, scholars who have read this centuries later, we, it's a hard for us to understand exactly what the question is. Was this man saying, hey, let me go back. My, my father is aging. Let me go back and, and hang out with him for a while and help take care of his affairs, um, and then I'll follow you later. Or was he saying that his father had literally just passed away and he was wanting to go back and, and lead a, a funeral service or be a part of a funeral uh, time of mourning or something like that? We don't know for sure. It's, it's unclear in the original language, and we really have no other explanation that would let us know exactly what is taking place. But the question this man was asking was one of priority. Is it okay, Jesus, if I go and take care of something else before I follow you? Well, what does Jesus say in response? He says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, this response is equally challenging. What in the world does this mean? I mean, we look at the rest of Scripture and we see other kinds of statements, don't we? We see statements like we are to honor our father and mother, and that is a command that has no expiration date. It doesn't say we follow them until we're 18 and then we kick them to the curb. There's no verse that says that. It says that we are to honor our father and mother that we would live long in the land. Other places, the Proverbs, even in, in 1 Timothy, we get uh, statements about how we are to care for our own household. And so I don't think that what Jesus was saying here was, hey, don't have any concern for your family. Don't take care of them. I think what Jesus is doing in this conversation with this man, though, was he is raising the issue of priority. This man wanted to say, I will follow you, Jesus, maybe later. First, let me go take care of something else. And Jesus says, it's not the way it works. I don't want you to place me on item three on your agenda. Follow me first. And as you follow me, we will take care of family. We'll do other things. But he wanted this priority relationship. He wanted us to follow him first. I think that's the picture of of what he's, what he's getting at here. And, you know, I, I, when we put it in those terms, I think we can see clearly the, the challenges that we have. I, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody. You, you share the gospel with them. You talk about how Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you, you ask them if they would like to follow and trust Christ. And many times in conversations I've had with people, especially those from other cultures whose families are not Christian, will say something like, how could I believe a message that would mean, that would, that would have me trusting a God different from the God of my parents. Really, it's, it's, it's a question of priority. It's a, it's a thought that, you know, I'll only follow you, Jesus, if everybody is with me. And if that's the way that we think, we're really putting our family before our God. We're allowing something else to eclipse our vision of who God is. The question that really is here is, are, are we willing to move our expectations aside and place Christ at a position of priority in our life? Are we willing to do that? You know, when we see these stories unfold in Scripture, it's easy for us to look at them and go, hey, guys, trust Jesus. It's going to work out for you. It'll be better for you. It's easy to look at their life and say that, isn't it? It's easy to look at this, the life of, of this scribe and say, you know what? Yeah, you might have to sleep on a few rocks in this life. But guess what? It's worth it. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Because he's the son of God. It's worth it because though you may not have a mansion here, the father's house is being prepared for you later. It's, it's worth it, we, we see to this man and we say, and we, we would want to encourage him 
in that regard. But it's easy to see it in his life, but how about in ours, right? It's challenging for us, isn't it? We have expectations. We have hopes. We have misplaced priorities, that things that we want to see happen that can cause friction between us and our relationship with God. We're moving aside. Let's not have anything in that place of priority before him. He's the one who is great. He's 400 times and then some greater than anything else in our life. Let's trust and follow him. The first thing we see is this challenge of misplaced priority. The second thing we see, though, is the challenge of current circumstances. The circumstances in our world can, though small, because of their proximity to us, can eclipse our vision of the greatness of God. We see this transpire very clearly for us in verses 23 through 27, where the disciples are on a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's helpful for us as we look at this story to understand something. The disciples on the boat with Jesus had something to be afraid of. There there was reason for them to be afraid that night on the water because they were on the Sea of Galilee. Now, when I say Sea of Galilee, you might be thinking about an ocean. That's kind of what I, when I hear sea, I think salt water, I think you can't see the other side, this massive thing. Um, in those regards. The, the Sea of Galilee was not that. The Sea of Galilee really is, is a lake. It's a, it's a large lake in, in northern Israel, but you can see across it. That's how, you know, it's not that, that wide. Um, but it's also very shallow. And this shallow body of water can, can warm quickly. And when it, when it does, then the air can rise and it, like a vacuum, it pulls air in from the hills around and it causes the water to get very choppy very fast. And people who lived around the Sea of Galilee would have been very familiar with the kinds of challenges that that kind of weather condition could quickly create. And so the disciples who grew up around the Sea of Galilee found themselves on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, many of them, by the way, fishermen who had been out there on the water, many of them fishermen who probably had friends who had lost boats in storms like this, many of them who had been fishermen who might have even lost friends who had died in storms like this or had experienced injury, are out there on the water when a storm like this brews up. And it's such a big storm, the waves are crashing over the boat. There, there is reason for them to be afraid, and they're out there on the water. Now, I, I say that Because as we gather here today, let's just be real for a moment. There's things for us to be afraid of, aren't there? I mean, there's things that you're afraid of when when you came in today. I mean, you may not want to admit it, but deep down, there's something that's really bothering you today, probably. I mean, it may be a a health situation in your family that you're, you're fearful. You don't know what that diagnosis is. You don't know how long that's going to endure. You don't know what is going to transpire, and you're fearful of some kind of a health situation. Or you are fearful of some kind of a financial situation. Or you are are fearful of some kind of a relational situation. Or you are fearful because every time you turn on television, there is another reason to be terrified. You turn on TV and there's a threat of a nuclear war. You change channels and there's racism in our country. You change channels and there are police officers gunned down in the street. You change channels and there are all kinds of, of bad things happening in our city. And we, if we just watch this stuff... We have to be honest, there are things that we could be afraid of, and they're real things. They're really out there. And like the disciples on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, there are real waves crashing about us. But 
we can learn something from this story. Because the disciples, in the midst of that challenge, forget for a little bit about what was happening in the boat. See, while the waves are crashing around, Jesus is on the boat, and he's asleep. And so they come to him, and they woke him up, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you a little faith? And he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The disciples, in the midst of this challenge, were straining at the oars, They were doing everything they could to keep the boat afloat. And when they turn to Jesus, what is he able to do? In a moment, he brings calm. Now, friends, in the midst of your lives, in the midst of a life where there are many waves crashing about us, where the current circumstances are pounding us in different ways, it is absolutely our temptation to not follow Christ into peace, right? It is our temptation instead to strain at the oars and hold our boat upright ourselves. I don't know what that looks like for you, but let me tell you what it looks like for me. It looks like some sleeplessness and some anxiety and some fear. Anybody struggle with the same things? Anybody express their their worry in similar ways? You know, I I lived the first 42 years of my life pretty happy-go-lucky. But what's interesting is, about a year and a half ago, I became the senior pastor here at Wildwood. And I have never had as many sleepless nights as I've had in the last year and a half. Now, here's the thing. That's not your fault. I want you to know that. It has nothing to do with that. It might have a little bit to do with some spiritual attack. It might have to do with whatever. But I'll tell you what, I, what this passage has convicted me of. This passage has convicted me that as the, the waves are pounding and as the responsibility and all the things that you feel, you know what I tend to do? Grab the oars and try to keep the boat level. And when you do that, you spend some time at night on your own. Instead of just turning to Christ, remembering whose boat you're in. Of all of the people in the first century, who should have known the presence of Jesus? the men in the boat with him. Of all of the people in Norman, Oklahoma, who should know of the presence of Jesus? Well, and Mike, how about me? I work in a church. I'm a pastor. I, I spend my, my weekends opening up God's word and, and talking about it with, with y'all. I, of everyone, I should know this. And you know what? To be honest, as followers of Christ, we all should know this, shouldn't we? We all should remember whose boat we're in. Jesus has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why is it that we strain at the oars on our own? Because we've allowed our current circumstances to eclipse the greatness of our God. By faith, we recognize it in their lives like, hey, guys, Jesus is with you. Let's remind ourselves of that. By faith, let's let's move it away and see the greatness of him again. I don't know what's going on in your life, the challenges that are keeping you up at night, Let's not allow our current circumstances to eclipse the greatness of our God. There is one who is able to speak to a storm like that and stop it, not gradually, but in a moment. And we're on his boat. Third thing that we see is found really in verses 28 through 34. It's a little funny when I say it, but hopefully when I, we go through it, it'll make sense. Present pigs. 
We allow present pigs to obscure our, our vision to eclipse the greatness of our God. Now, what, what are we talking about when we say that? Well, it's the story of these two demon-possessed men. There's two men who are possessed by demons, and they are out in this area called the area or country of the Gadarenes. Now, that is a, an area just kind of east and south of the Sea of Galilee, and it was an area where there were a number of cities called the Decapolis, which were Gentile-based cities. That would explain why they were raising pigs out there. Um, but in this area where the, these Gentiles cities were and where a number of Gentiles lived, these Roman cities, there are two men that nobody knows what to do with. There are two men that are oppressed by demons. And all society knew to do with them was to get them out of their presence and to place them in an area where they did not want to go out into a graveyard. And so these two demon-possessed men are out in this graveyard, and they are tormented day and night, and they are making just a total scene, keeping anybody from being able to pass. And Jesus walks up. I mean, of, of all of the places for Jesus to go, he shows up in the graveyard with the two demon-possessed men. He's wanting to demonstrate something, right? So as he walks up, these demons speak out through these men, and they say, Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, I want to just acknowledge a couple things. You could write a doctrinal statement over what they just said. And these are demons. They understood his identity. They knew he was the Son of God. They understood that one day he was going to return and rule the earth. They knew that he had authority over them. I mean, these demons, they understood those things. They had no interest in following him. They had no interest in, in worshiping him or revering him, but there, they, there were some theological points that they understood. And these demons speak out through these men, and they make this statement, and they make a very strange request. They said, hey, send us into those pigs that we would run down, you know, that we would, we would go there instead of just being cast into the darkness. And so Jesus says, go. Now, it's interesting. Jesus handles this legion of demons with a single word. It doesn't say that he broke a sweat even. He just says, go, and they go. With great force, they move. Friends, I don't know what feels totally oppressive in your life today, but know that we are gathered around. When we look at the greatness of God, the thing that, that our pigs and our circumstances want to obscure, we want to obscure the greatness of one who just says, go, and a legion of demons that nobody knew what to do with take off. That's the greatness of our God. Jesus says, go, and they go. And the whole herd rushed down the steep banks and into the sea, and they drowned in the water. And the herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were these folks out there tending those pigs. And let's just say that, that you are out there, and these are not your pigs. You're watching borrowed pigs, okay? The, the owner of those pigs is back in town. And you, but you have a responsibility to kind of care for them. I, we'll call them a pig shepherd. I don't know if that's the right word, but these pig shepherds are out there. And, and when those, the demons go into those pigs and those pigs run into the water, they go to town and they tell everything that they had seen. And what happens is so surprising from a literary standpoint, but not from a practical standpoint. And in the story, what happens next is surprising. But when we reflect on it in the nature of our lives, it makes total sense. Because in the story, what happens is surprising. It says, behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, 
they begged him to leave their region. Think about that. Jesus came to a region of Gentiles. He performed a remarkable miracle. He separated demons from two men who had been oppressed for some period of time that nobody knew what to do with, and suddenly they were cast, those demons were cast out, and those men were set free. And what do the people do in response to that? They tell them to go away. Now, why would they do that? I think certainly there was some fear that they had, but also I think that they were afraid of what else he might get rid of. They were concerned that if he would do that to these guys' pigs, what was he going to do to my stuff? There were, there were things in their life that they wanted to hang on to, and they, they wanted their swine more than the Savior, and they made an awful trade and an awful choice. And they said, Jesus, go away. We'd rather have our pigs. Now, friends, again, when we see it on the pages of Scripture, we see that trade happen and we go, bad trade, man, bad trade. Don't do that. That's so silly. Replay that. Invite him back. Have him stay. Build him a house. But we do the same thing in our own life, don't we? We see the authority and the power of Jesus in Scripture, and he invites us to follow him in areas of our life, and we say, no, thank you. He invites us to follow him in purity, and we say, no, thank you, I'd rather have my pornography. He invites us to follow him in in relationships that build up, not tear down, and we say, no, thank you, I'd rather have my gossip. Why do we do such things? Because we've allowed our pigs to eclipse our Savior. Sometimes calling them something silly like that helps us realize just how foolish a decision it is. Sometimes we think this experience or that relationship or this acceptance from these people would be worth it. But you know what? If it's something that wants to get between us and Christ, it's just a pig and not a cute one at that. Get rid of it. And instead, see the greatness of God and follow him. Don't allow the small things that are close to us to eclipse the greatness of our God. Now, here's the thing. As we gather here today in worship, no doubt, we've been convicted on at least one of those three points. Maybe like me, you were convicted in all three of them. But what do you do in response to that? Well, here's the great thing. The same God who is great in identifying his greatness and and our fallenness is the same God who provides a way for our forgiveness. Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven as we follow him. And so if you're here today and you have never made the decision to follow Christ and you feel like you are 0 for 3 in the categories we just mentioned and there are many things that have obstructed your vision of the greatness of God, hey, just know that today is a time by faith those things can move away and you can see the greatness of God and you can trust him in faith and begin to follow him. And for those of us that began that journey of following him some time ago and yet have found ourselves convicted because our life has got many things that we have allowed to obstruct our vision of him. Today's the day we can remember his grace and forgiveness as well and see his greatness again as we follow him together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you. And Father, we thank you that as we gather today, we can, like the disciples on the boat, fall down at your feet 
again and worship you. And Father, whether there are uh, people here who will trust you today for the first time and, or all of us who maybe have trusted you at some point in the past but have found ourselves wandering away and allowing the cares of this world to obstruct our vision of you, today, Father, that we would see the greatness of Christ. We would not allow those things to eclipse our vision of you, and we would trust you and follow you with our lives. And we pray that you would help us to sing this song in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen.